Welcome, everyone. My name is Darren Snow, and I am the senior pastor at Crossroads Community Church in Aurora, Illinois. And I am so glad that you are joining us in our series on the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus called Walking in the Light. It is so good to have you here this morning on this crisp, beautiful spring day. Yeah, two of you are excited. Yeah, it is. I, I am excited. You know what I'm really excited about next week? We spring forward now. Don't forget. Woohoo! Yes, I heard Sherry. Woohoo! We're springing forward next week. Um, so praise God for spring weather. It is just great to be here uh, with you this morning. My name is Darren Snow. If I didn't say that, uh, I'm the senior pastor here. And on behalf of Pastor Caleb, our associate pastor, and all of our pastoral staff, our elders, our staff, just great to have you. Those of you that are watching us online, great to have you uh, here, especially first and second time visitors. Already this morning, the first two services, I met more than a few first time visitors, second time visitors. Great to have you here. And I will tell you that we're really glad. I think this is a great time for you to be here because just last week we started the, a brand new message series. So you're coming in just on week number two. This is actually week number two of 26 uh, in a series that's going to take us all the way through the end of August a series we have been anticipating and excited about, uh, and that is uh, the, uh, a series on the book of Ephesians, Walking in the Light, Walking in the Light. We call it the book of Ephesians. If you're not familiar with Ephesians, uh, it is a letter, actually, that the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, uh, it is a letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus, as Pastor explained to us last week. If you're not, uh, maybe you're not familiar with where Ephesus is, it's in modern-day Turkey, and uh, so that's the letter that we're going to be going through. And so since we just started last week, you probably know that you need to go ahead and open up your B-I-B-L-E's at this time to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, before we get there, and uh, while you're pulling out your Bibles uh, or your smartphones, many of you, I know you're not playing solitaire, Robert. I know that you're actually reading. Yeah, he's like, well, maybe, maybe not. Okay, so um, how many of you have ever seen, came out a few years ago, this, the incredible documentary uh, on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls called The Last Dance. Anybody seen that? Brian, I know you've seen that, okay? It just, it, even if you're not a Bulls fan, if you're not a basketball fan, I think it's on Netflix, I think. It's on one of them. It is so, so good. Uh, it's about the 97-98 basketball season, and fascinating doesn't even begin to, to describe it. It, it really is worth your watch. Now, there's a whole lot that you could talk about in regards to the series, but there is something that when I watched it, I remember it just came across loud and clear, and that, in, uh, that is when those guys walked out on the court, and you had Jordan, and you had Pippen, and you had Rodman, okay, and you had Steve Kerr, and you had uh, the whole crew. Let me tell you what, when they walked out on that court, they were expecting to win, were they not? They had supreme confidence. They had some serious swag, did they not? A little bit of swagger, more than a little bit of swagger. And so even, you know, like any professional season, and the basketball season lasts forever and a day, even through all that they went through in that season, which every team does, so you've got injuries and then you've got shooting slumps, and Lord knows they went through it with Rodman. What a How'd you like to go and have a cup of coffee with Dennis Rodman? Okay, uh, You know, he was jetting off, I think it was Las Vegas or something. Even with all of that stuff, when they walked out onto the court, they were confident and they were expecting to win. Now, why do I bring that up? Wouldn't it be nice, I'm not simply asking this rhetorically, this is what we're going to see in, in our text for today, but wouldn't it be nice uh, 
if as Christians we could walk out onto the court of life with that same kind of confidence. Now, I'm not talking about being prideful. I'm not talking about being arrogant. Uh, and I'm certainly not talking about being obnoxious. But rather, you know, when you get up tomorrow morning and you're, and you're, you're going to work, that you just have a quiet confidence in a couple things, in who God is and who you are as a believer and a quiet confidence for the things that God is calling you to. Is that really possible? And if so, if so, then based upon what? Okay, hang on to that. Hang on to that. So Pastor Caleb got us cranked up last week looking at verses 1 through 6. If you missed last week, if you missed last week go back and watch it. All of our uh, messages are cataloged on, on our website. Because what, what Caleb brought last week was the foundation, was the starting point that launches the entire letter. Okay, So go back and watch that. But there, there were several points of truth there. But the primary point of truth, at least, that I took away is that theologically, biblically, we as Christians, we have been chosen. We have been predestined is the other word that's used in verses 1 through 6, predestined for adoption into the family of God. And we have been chosen and predestined for a purpose, that we are to walk out our faith in life as image bearers of God, as difference makers for God, and specifically, we have a purpose of making disciples and making disciple makers. Now, I don't know about you, you guys are in the real world. I tell you all this time, I'm in my little church bubble. You're the ones that are going to get up and you're going to go out to work tomorrow morning. Okay? Um, and that can be intimidating, what it is that God calls us to. And I would say probably a lot more so than in a generation or two past uh, as we walk out our faith. Uh, because most of the time, I think our faith is met with indifference, if not outright hostility. And I think even more so, more hostility to us as Christians. So because of that reality, it's easy to keep our head down and our mouth closed and just kind of, you know, go along to get along, kind of keeping our faith to ourselves and again kind of hunched over that thing. But when we walk out our faith that way, we end up being a lot more like the Washington Generals than we do the Chicago Bulls. How many of you have any clue who the Washington Generals are? Okay. Two of you did, okay? That was better than first ever. There's one. I just made a really great illustration and none of you got it. Go home and Google the, you know, the Washington Generals and you're going to figure it out, okay? But the Apostle Paul says no. Apostle Paul says no, Christian. He says there are some things that you need to know to be true. That when you have an understanding of these things, these realities, these blessings, these gifts given to us by God himself, it allows us to kind of straighten up a little bit, you know, keep our head held high, our shoulders back again, not being prideful or obnoxious, but walking out our faith with a quiet confidence. That's what we're going to see as we open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, if you have not done so already. We're going through every single verse. That means that since Caleb ended on verse 6, that means we're going to pick it up in verse 7. Here we go. Paul says, in him, who is the him? That is Christ. Jesus, that is in uh, 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 Christ, in him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he, I love this word, which he lavished upon us 
in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, there's that word again, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, that's looking forward, the fullness of time to unite, hold on to that word, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Don't you dare close your Bibles or turn off your cell phones, okay? Because yeah, we've got a lot of unpacking to do, and I want you to see this as I walk you through it. Now, saints, there's a whole lot here, all right? Four verses. Did you notice this? Four verses, one sentence. So if you're new to the Pauline letters is what they're called, in the translation from the Greek to the English, there are some serious run-on sentences, okay? So four verses, one sentence, yes, I counted them, 70 words, all right? All in that one sentence, those four verses. But when we take the time to break this down, as we're about to do, we are going to see that there are five realities, gifts, blessings, whatever word you want to use, five realities that when we full them, uh, fully understand them, gives us a little bit of holy swag, all right? That's what we're looking for. How can we do that? How can we live this out? So let's jump right in. The first thing that we see, the first blessing, the first reality is redemption. Look at the first part of verse 7. In Christ, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through what? Redemption through his blood. Now, there's some cultural context that needs to be understood here that Paul's original audience would have immediately gotten that, that, that we probably wouldn't in just a cursory reading of this. And that has to do with the reality of slavery. So in the ancient world, tragically, but it was, you know, it is what it is or was what it was, uh, slavery was an everyday reality in the ancient world. Uh, it is estimated that at the time of the Roman Empire, there were some 60 million slaves, okay? And so there were those that were captured and sold into slavery. And then you may not be aware of this, but uh, you could also sell yourself into slavery. If you were in debt. So whatever it was, there were 60-some-odd million slaves in the Roman Empire. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. It was possible, it was possible for a slave to be set free. It was possible for a slave to be redeemed. So that's the synonym. Redeemed, set free, if, if, if someone was willing to pay the price. So if someone was willing to pay the price, then that slave could experience freedom. Now you're probably ahead of me, but let me be clear. This is exactly what Jesus did on our behalf. Because of his love for humanity, he paid the price for our sin, and the currency with which he paid that price was his was his blood. So again, look at, look at what we just saw there in the first part of, of verse 7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. His blood shed on Calvary's cross paid the price for uh, our salvation. So a, a, a point of truth here that we need to understand as Christians is simply this. The blood of Jesus bought our redemption from sin. And thus, we can experience freedom. And I'll unpack that a little bit more here in just a little bit. If you are looking for a verse to memorize, uh, and, and I know that you are, 
you could do a whole lot worse than Romans 3, 23, and 24. Really, one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture simply says this. It says, for all, that would be all of us, for all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God, and yet we are justified by His grace. We're going to unpack that in a moment. As a gift, and then here's our word, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So understand now, if you are a follower of Jesus... If you have accepted the free gift of salvation, you have been redeemed, you have been set free. Amen? Yeah. Becky, amen? Yeah, Becky's amen in there. Okay, let's go from redemption now to the second part of verse 7, which is forgiveness. The forgiveness of our trespasses, again, that's just a synonym for uh, sin, the forgiveness of our sin. And so here, one leads to another, here one begats another. Because we have been redeemed as Christians, because we have been set free, we can now experience forgiveness of our sin. Now, saints, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, there are so many things in our faith that it's easy to kind of forget or it's easy to kind of gloss over. And I say this carefully, but, but it's easy for some of these, these biblical and theological realities to almost become trite. But I want you to take a moment and take a deep breath and think about this. Our sin as Christians has been forgiven. That means a lot of things, but two things it means, that we are no longer slaves to sin and no longer are we bound into guilt for our sin. So when you come to know Jesus, your sin being forgiven, all right, you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus, what 2 Corinthians 5.17, I think it is. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus, and so no longer are, are, are you in, in bondage to sin, but also you have been set free from the guilt of sin. So amen to that. I got a woo out of that one. So when, when, when the evil one is chipping in your, in your ear about all the things that you used to do, all the things that you have done, the mistakes that you have made before you were a believer. That is never of God. That is always of the evil one. Some of you have heard me say this a thousand times. I'll make it a thousand one. The, the, the time that I can, oh, not, every, not every Saturday, but more Saturdays than not, when I'm laying in bed, having said my prayers, having done my final preparation for uh, our time and, and for me speaking to you, it's almost like clockwork. There is the little, you know, that little voice. And it always is something like this. Darren, if, if those people knew the things that you had done, if they knew who you were, first of all, they'd laugh, then they'd get up and then walk out. Because, because of the mistake. And, and all of us can do, because there's not, listen, there's not, a, there's not a person in this room that hasn't done something that they regret. But let me tell you something, okay? Guilt and shame for the Christian is not of the Lord. We are new creations in Christ Jesus, okay? There's about 10 sermons in here, and I'm trying to get it down here. Okay, now, sin. Let's talk about sin, shall we? Let's talk about sin. Sin is not a word that you hear much anymore, do you? I can assure you, okay, if you flip on the TV today or you go out to whatever movie may be, maybe, I don't know, popular uh, in pop culture, you're not going to hear a whole lot about sin. Okay, now you're not going to hear really anything about sin in pop culture, but tragically, you're really not going to hear much about sin in the church anymore. You know, we live in a church time where if it feels good, do it, you know, knock yourself out, right? Um, and unfortunately, that is just true. But just because it's not in vogue anymore, uh, just because 
we don't hear about it very much uh, anymore doesn't mean that it's gone away. Listen, I'm here to tell you, sin is alive and well in 2023. Always has been. That's nothing new. Always has been. What is sin? Uh, 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 sin is, uh, theologically, we call it missing the mark. It is missing the standard of God's holiness. Now, I'm about to launch into about a minute of, of something that you that call Crossroads Home. You know this well. Okay, let, let me give you a little test. When did sin become a reality? Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 3. Beautiful. Okay, Genesis 1 and 2, life is awesome. Flip the page, Genesis chapter 3. And our first ancestors, real people, not myth, not legend, real people, Adam and Eve made a really bad decision. They rebelled against God. And when they rebelled against God, sin, which was nowhere to be seen in Genesis 1 and 2, all of a sudden is now a reality. And the beautiful unity that they were experiencing from two perspectives, they had perfect unity with God, they had perfect unity with each other, now all of a sudden that's gone. And they are separated by that sin. That's what we call theologically the seed of Adam. The seed of Adam is sin. And it has been passed down generation after generation after generation after generation. And that sin is what separates from God. Why? Because he is perfect, holy, and just, and we are not. Okay? And that's the understatement of all time. He is perfect, holy, and just, and we are not. And it is the reality of sin, as unsavory as it is, it is the reality of sin is why we deserve hell. That's it. That's what we deserve in and of ourselves. What is hell? Hell is simply an eternity apart from God. That's the really bad news. Here's the really good news. That God the Father loved us so much that he sent God the Son to this earth to live a perfect sinless life and ultimately 33 years later to do for us what we could never, ever, ever do for ourselves. To go to that cross and by his shed blood, we have been redeemed and we have been forgiven and our sin taken away. Amen. Now listen, we got so much good news here, I can hardly, I can hardly stand it this morning. Our sin is taken away. It's gone from us. But there is something that we receive, okay, as our sin. There's something that we receive in return. This is the wildest, craziest thing, but it is true because it comes from Scripture, and that is this. Jesus takes our sin, this is mind-blowing, and gives us his righteousness. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. It's what we call the great exchange. Guys, this is the greatest deal of all time. There is, there is nothing in this world that can beat the great exchange. All right? Here we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Jesus comes to the cross. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He takes our sin. And again, think about it now. I don't care how good of a person you think you are. You ain't that good. He takes your sin and you receive his righteousness. What a God that we serve. Redemption, forgiveness. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And you're sitting here saying, that's awesome. Man, that's awesome. Okay, Javier, that's awesome. Javier's sitting there saying, hey, man, that's awesome stuff. Redemption, forgiveness. Man, I want me some of that. How in the world do I get me some redemption and forgiveness? What have I got to do? Surely I got to do something. I got to do something. Whatever it is, I'll do whatever it may be. Give me some of that. Javier, I'm so glad you asked. You never know who I'm going to. 
Guys, that leads us to, again, another biblical reality and principle that is so beautiful it takes my breath away. Third part of verse 7, grace, grace, grace. We've been given redemption and forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. Man, if you thought that uh, redemption and forgiveness was awesome, let me, put, let me put the cherry on top of the theological Sunday. Okay? Redemption and forgiveness, there is nothing that you could ever do to earn that redemption or that forgiveness. They have been given freely by a good and loving and gracious God. What is grace? Let me make sure it's crystal clear to you. You probably heard that word. Maybe it's a little churchy word to you. Here's what grace is. It is God's unmerited favor. What does that mean? It means you don't deserve it, and it means you could never earn it. Jerry, you're an awesome dude, brother. I love you, Jerry. Okay, but as good as you are, as good of a person as you are, let me tell you one thing you don't deserve, and I know, Jerry, that you'll agree with me, you do not deserve God's grace. Warren, you're a hardworking man, and I know that to be true. You're a hardworking dude, but as hard as you may ever work, if given 10,000 years on this planet, Warren, as much as I love him, could never earn God's grace. It's his unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it at all. I have no idea why God loves us so much. I, seriously, I, I have no clue. I say it every Easter morning when we come together on Easter Sunday. I, I, I can't tell you, but I know it to be true, that he loves us that much, that he has poured out his grace upon us so that we can be set free, so that we can be new creations in Christ Jesus. That is all about grace, amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I've been found. I was blind, but now I see. We have been chosen. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven all by the incredible grace of God. And so then, let, let's take this a step further now. We've we, we got, we got a little bit more ways to go. So you receive the free gift of salvation. You've been redeemed. You've forgiven. And now all of a sudden, it's time to take the next step. And this is when we now begin to walk out our faith. And we begin to walk out our faith through the leading and through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And he enables us and he empowers us to walk out our faith in many different ways with many different gifts that he gives to us. Not the least of which we find in verse 8, which is discernment. Spirit-given discernment. Look what it says here. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So discernment, saints, is simply spirit-led wisdom and insight that the Lord gives that to us. And then as we grow in our faith, okay, then that discernment begins to grow and begins to deepen. How does that happen? Well, first and foremost, through the Word of God. I'm here to tell you, you your, your spiritual discernment is never going to be all that it can be apart from the Word of God. Because God speaks to us in many different ways, but he speaks to us primarily through his word. So you have the word of God, you have prayer, okay? You have prayer, you have community, 
right? Brian and Sarah, when we gather together on Thursday nights in, 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 our, in our small group, Bill and Jan, all the rest, okay? For those of you that any kind of group, men's, women's, whatever it may be, okay? And you're talking about the things of God, all right? And you begin to have a clear and a deeper understanding of the things of God, that's him imparting to you discernment. And then I also believe in that still small voice, okay? So here's what happens then. God the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within you, and now you have been given this spiritual radar that you did not have before. A spiritual radar then that gives you discernment. You can't have the spiritual radar apart from God the Holy Spirit. So now, all of a sudden, with this spiritual radar that is giving you spiritual discernment, now all of a sudden, the things that absolutely made no sense before, now all of a sudden, make sense. So, Mark, you can read Ephesians till the cows come home, brother, apart from God the Holy Spirit, okay? And you can read through Ephesians. Yeah, that's great, but you can understand some of the words. But, but those things aren't going to make the same sense as when Mark comes to know Jesus, and now all of a sudden the Spirit is illuminating Mark, and now all of a sudden he, he hears things like being chosen, be pre, being predestined, uh, 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 being redeemed, being forgiven by the grace of God, and all that. All of a sudden, that was just a bunch of churchy mumbo-jumbo. Now, all of a sudden, I get it. I get it. It makes sense. I'm connecting all the dots slowly but surely. That's when all of a sudden, okay, you, you, you've, you've, got, you've got that spiritual radar that all of a sudden be, begins to go off when, 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 you're, when you're walking away, you're about to do something, and all of a sudden you kind of get that danger, danger, Will Robinson kind of thing. Uh-oh. 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 I don't think, I, I don't, there's something about this that doesn't seem right. There's something about this that does, we were talking about this in our 6 a.m. Uh, men's group, how through the Word of God, you can hear some of these wacko prosperity guys or whoever it may be, and you listen to that and you go, something's not right. That's a spiritual discernment. That's not lining up it with the Word. Now, it sounds good. It sounds like, like sugar candy, but, it's, but, but there's no depth there. Are you with me? So, so there's that alert that you begin to get. So, Philippi, that's why, you know, you, you, you hear something in school that there, there's a party going on this weekend. Somebody's parents are out of town. Philippi is one of our high schoolers. Okay? And, boy, it sounds good. <laughs> Don't do it, Philippi. <laughs> Let me speak for your daddy. Don't do it. Okay? That's not just intuition. That's the Spirit of God saying, no, 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 no. Now, it's not just the things that God puts the brakes on, but it's also the opposite. And, and that is, you all of a sudden begin to get these little nudgings of things that now all of a sudden you're going, you, you feel like, God, okay, let me give you some examples. Okay? You're kind of going on through life. A couple of weeks ago, you hear that we're going to do Honduras this summer. If somebody would have said to you six months ago or a year ago or five years ago, Doug, that, that they wanted to go to Honduras, they would have looked at you, Doug leads that trip, they would have looked at Doug like, like he's got three heads. And now all of a sudden you're going, I don't get this, I don't understand this, this is crazy town, but I think God may be calling me to go to Honduras. High school students, Corbin, okay, one of our high school students, never would have crossed Corbin's mind at, at some point. What? Go to Mexico in July when it's 10,000 degrees down there and, and, and build a home for somebody? You've, I got a lot of other things as a 17, 18-year-old senior in high school that I could be doing other than going to Mexico and sweating to death and building a home for a family that's destitute. And yet that's exactly what God does. 
that little prompting, are you with me? That's not just your intuition. That's the discernment of God himself saying it's time to step out in faith. It's time to do something crazy for him. So he gives us discernment for our life today. And he also gives us divine discernment for that which is coming. And that takes us to our last point here, which is hope. Hope. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will as a plan for the fullness of time. What is fullness of time? That which is to come. That which is to come. The fullest uh, fullness of time to unite all things. Remember the brokenness from Genesis chapter 3? Remember the brokenness? Okay, fractured, broken. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. So through the power of the Spirit, he gives us discernment for today. But not only for today, he gives us discernment for tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, you can read through the Scriptures, not only the book of Revelation, but all the way throughout Old Testament and New Testament, like that is looking forward to that day. And some of those things that you may have thought before you came to know Jesus, that's the craziest thing, that's what you crazy Christians think. Now all of a sudden it crystallizes, and now all of a sudden there is a hope that we have that is beyond this world. And with that hope comes peace. This was a hard week. This was a hard week for our church. It was a hard week for our church because we, we, lost, we lost one of our dear ones. Many of you know uh, Deb Heglin. Deb was, was married to Bob, and uh, they were at the very first service of Crossroads Community Church back in 1996, the very first one. Those of you that have come to Crossroads more recently wouldn't have known, but, but Bob was our drummer for years and years and years and years. Faithful. Eight months ago, Bob wasn't feeling well. He went to the doctor, and he got that report that none of us ever, ever wanted to hear. Uh, it was cancer, and it was all over his body. It was all over his body. Bob fought the good fight. And last Sunday, uh, after church, Pastor Matt and I went over to see him, and later Pastor Mike went to see him. And uh, at that point, he couldn't speak. He wanted to take communion one last time. So we took over the little communion element, and we opened it up, and we took just a little fleck, just a little fleck, and we put it on his tongue. And we took a little, little drop of the juice and put it on his tongue. We took communion for the last time. But about two weeks prior to that, Pastor Matt and I went over to see him, and he was still... He was lucid last week. He couldn't speak, but he was still able to speak just a couple of weeks ago. He was laying on the couch, and he, he knew his time was coming. I mean, he knew. And, and, and we just sat with him, and I asked him a question that I ask regularly in, in, in those times because I want people to feel free to really speak what they're really experiencing. And I said, Bob, how are you, my brother? And I said, how are you with God? I said, are you angry? Are you frustrated? Are you bitter? What are you? 
And I'm telling you guys, he wasn't saying it. We've known Bob too long. He wasn't saying this just for something that he felt like Matt and I wanted or needed to hear. But he didn't miss a beat from his heart. He said, guys, he said, well, I am sorrowful that I'm going to leave Deb and so many family and friends behind. He said, I know God. And I know that he is good. And I know that when that day comes and I breathe my last, he said, I know the hope that I have. And he had peace that makes no sense at all to the world. It is truly the peace that passes all understanding. Saints, let me tell you something. For those of you that maybe are not followers of Jesus, and maybe you're exploring Christianity, and if that's you, we're glad you're here. Let me tell you something that we believe, and I'll just be candid with you. I'm not saying this to be arrogant. Arrogance not the word. I'm not saying this to be hard-edged. But I couldn't care less what people think or what people say about us as Christians. Because here's one thing I know to be true from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes. Here's what I know to be true. That there is coming a day when Jesus is coming back. And people can scoff and people can laugh and people can ridicule. I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. Here's what I know to be true. Jesus said I'm coming back. And if Jesus said he's coming back, then he's coming back. Now, he hasn't come back in 2,000 years. It may be 2,000 more. It may be 10,000. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. Here's what I know to be true. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, all wrongs will eventually be made right. And there will be no more tears. And there will be no more heartache. And there will be no more sickness. And there will be no more cancer. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more relational division. There will be no more relational fracture. But we will finally be united. And life will finally be as it was intended to be and as it was going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Jew and Gentile, all races and colors and creeds and languages, all of us finally united, united as one in Christ. Under all authority and under all rule. And saints, that is the hope that we have. So tomorrow morning, when you get up, and it's Monday morning, and you're out in the real world, with all of the complexities and the hardships and everything that we all go through, because life is hard, and knowing what most people think about us, right, and they think about Christianity with indifference, if not outright hospitality, and everything within you wants to kind of keep your head down and your mouth, clo clo uh, and your mouth closed, and you're just going to go along to get along. I'm asking you, take a step back. Think about the things that you know to be true. Stand up straight. Put your shoulders back just a little. Let your head be held high. Not because of anything that you have ever done. Oh, no, 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 no. But in what you know to be true, you have been chosen. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven by the grace of God himself. He has given you discernment 
for today, and he has given you a hope for tomorrow. This life is not all there is. There's going to be a day when we're going to see Bob again. And I'm going to see my father again. And you're going to see fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and all of the saints that have gone before. That is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And in a moment, we're going to take communion together. But I thought I would just pray for us and, and ask the Lord to you know, calm our hearts and prepare us to partake of communion. So let's do that. Lord God, we're so thankful for the power of your word. So simple. Oh, my goodness, so simple. But so powerful and so real and so real. And so, Lord, we thank you for the blessings and the gifts and the realities that you have given to us. We have been chosen and redeemed and forgiven by your grace. You've given us discernment for today and hope for tomorrow. And so, Lord, for that, we are so incredibly thankful. We thank you, God, for the gift of your son. We're thankful for what he did on Calvary's cross. We're thankful, Lord, that you have given to us the gift of Holy Communion, the sacrament of Holy Communion. And so, Lord, be with us now as we prepare our hearts. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. I really hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like more information on Crossroads Community Church, you can check out our website at crossroadsconnect.net. And if you are ever in our area, we would love to have you visit us in person at 3003 South Eola Road, right here in Aurora, Illinois. I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to having you join us again next week as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians, Walking in the Light.